0: Welcome to Freya's Free Practice Fridays. I'm back with the OG James Baldwin. How are you going?
1: Good to be here. Good to finally stop the flow of nonsense from the other people who have (laughs) appeared on this show and who cannot clearly cannot hold together a podcast by themselves for a race preview. But anyway, uh, I'm back, so you're welcome, listener. (laughs) Things are going to get back on track because I'm not. Well, I am traveling. As you said before we started recording, I'm, I'm going from international traveller to domestic traveller for the next couple of weeks. And as much as the distance is similar for me to be flying between like London and Paris and probably down to Barcelona Uh, it's not as exciting but going from Melbourne Sydney and then to Adelaide but anyway we push on and I'm happy to be here it
0: doesn't really have the same glow does it like international man of traveling mystery becomes Australian domestic Canberra frequent like it's just not the same doesn't roll off the tongue I don't know not the same level of mystery,
1: <laughs> no. And yeah, frustratingly, more flights. But
0: welcome back. Frustrating more this. flights.
1: Uh, but anyway, we do it. We do it because we do it because of things and reasons, I guess. But things and look, reasons. We we're here to talk about <laughs> the Singapore Grand Prix, which I'm very ex, which I'm very excited about because uh, it's been a while, and uh, as we were both sort of mentioning to ourselves before we started recording, all we've seen from everyone that we sort of follow or deal with or have dealt with in the past uh, on Formula 1 social media, all Thursday it seemed to be for them was getting absolutely hammered on Singapore slings at raffles. So good luck to all of you doing uh, Friday press days and, and free practice with hangovers.
0: I think they'll be hoping that someone is slinging them some Panadol and other things as <laughs> on the weekend. But um, let's get stuck into the news of the week. Like you said, we are back at Singapore. We haven't been here since 2019. So there's a few people who haven't raced here at all um, and others just not for a while. Vettel was our last winner, which is just really strange to think about. But let's have a look at some news of the week before we talk about what we're excited about when it comes to the Singapore race. Um, so first of all, Joe Guanyu has been confirmed, um, for next year. It does just seem to be a one year commitment at this point. Um, I for one was not particularly surprised by that announcement, but pleased as well. I think he's, you know, he's had a, a tough, but strong start to his Formula One career. And I think he's one of those people who, whose results don't necessarily translate on paper in terms of, how good an effort he's really made in his first year. What were your reactions to that news, James?
1: Yeah, as you say, I don't think anyone should be surprised that Joe was is, is re-signed, but he's only signed for another year. Look, I think for for his rookie season, he's done more than enough, hasn't he? To to keep himself in the seat for 2023. There's not really another option. Tio Porcher as an alpha Sauber Jr. would be the likely next choice. We've said sort of time and time again uh, over the last couple of weeks that he wants to leave F2 and he's not going to race in F2 next year. I think with this announcement and the confirmation of sort of suspicions around the paddock and, and also what we've sort of been talking about, he would probably want to maybe revisit his thought process with that because uh, although <laughs> it looks like maybe Nick DeVries will be going to Williams after all. The entry from Formula E and IndyCar to Formula One is not really guaranteed, uh, nor is it common. Uh, we've seen with Colton Herter as well. I know you guys have mm-hmm. spoken about it over the last couple of weeks too in terms of super licence points. Look, I think that should be reviewed anyway. I don't think the exep- the exception should be for Colton Herder for, for this point, but certainly next year and and years beyond the FIA. need to look at other series to see what this super license points actually means. But Joe Guan Yu has done more than enough uh, for many sort of situations, really in the last couple of races too. He's been outperforming Valtteri. Sometimes that's been with an issue with, with Valtteri's car. Sometimes that's just been on pace. So I think they both get on very well. They seem like they're not, Uh, you know really outspoken one way or another they're they're pretty sort of middle ground two drivers and I think noting what's probably going to be happening with backroom chats with Audi looking at purchasing Sauber over the next couple of months to to next year they're the kind of driver lineup where nothing's going to really shake it you know any massive headlines out and Autosport's not going to be reporting you know this random text or send whatever else so I think it makes sense. Uh, They've got a good pairing for for the rest of this year into next year. What I would say, though, is maybe both Valtteri and Joe's results aren't based necessarily on their specific performance, but it seems that Alfa Romeo is sort of dropping towards the back as a race team at the moment. Um, So hopefully... For 2023, they can sort of get themselves back towards the mid-pack, which is where a lot of these Ferrari uh, customer teams started 2022.
0: Well, that's it. We were so excited about their season um, at the beginning of things, thinking back to to Bahrain and around those first couple of races. We were so excited about um, VB coming back with a a fresh face and looking a lot happier. And we still see that from him, I think. Um, And, you know, it's great to have, it's always great to have, a don't want to say a second chance, but that, that continued kind of faith in a rookie, I suppose. I think you know it's it's so cutthroat, and you see people kind of going up. Oh, well, first year you didn't perform, and out you go. um It's good to see that he's been given some time to adjust to the car and get some um, some performance under his belt. But he's also done pretty well for for his first year. And like you said, I think for a team, as it as they stand at the moment, they won't be looking to introduce drastic changes. Um, They'll probably be looking to stabilise um, over the next little while because there could be some bigger changes coming down the line. Um, Sticking to driver market also, go Teefy, mate. We're very sorry. We're going to miss you dearly, but you'll not be racing for Williams next year. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, James?
1: Well, my first thoughts are I'm glad the boys completely missed this news uh, early in the week with the Singapore preview episode. (laughs) So. 10-second penalty each for them for completely not reading anything to do with Formula 1 news. Uh, Look, it's I mean, the writing's been on the wall for him for for some time. I think we were all surprised that he even got re-signed for 2022, to be perfectly honest. Uh, The guy seems to be incredibly super lovely. He's very well-respected in the Williams team, Uh, but when your main competition quite simply now for that seat is the guy who beat you in Formula 2 to the championship, uh, I think that says enough now. The, the the weight of pay drivers, I think, for Williams is less than what it used to be, uh, certainly with yeah. Dalton Capital coming in now and really fixing up the financial situation of the team. And what that means is Williams will want to be investing in drivers who can actually push themselves forward. You know, you've got the pay driver situation uh, we've seen, you know, in the past with Sergei Sorokin, we had, uh, well, before that we've sort of had Lance Stroll as well, haven't we, and Robert Kubica, who brought in um, that all-in power, uh, so that all-in gas money as well. So now that that's sort of behind them, hopefully they can get Nick DeVries. I really think that Nick should have a good crack in that that seat uh, for next year. I don't really see anyone else, even Logan Sargent, and this is one thing. that maybe Mm. concerns me slightly. If Williams don't sign DeVries, DeVries is obviously suddenly he's got stocks up as a result of Monza and they wait to see what happens with Logan Sargent. He doesn't have a super licence yet and isn't guaranteed points. They'll have to wait to Abu Dhabi to know if Logan Sargent has a super licence. And as far as I'm concerned, Logan's not as good a driver as Nick is. So at, at the end of the day, when you've looked, when you look, well, at the we don't whole have F2. any evidence,
0: like at this point within Formula One either, to to suggest that he would be anywhere near the pace that that Nick could bring. Like you're going in with a obviously a not a known thing, but something somewhat of a known thing in terms of potential and natural with that car to complete unknown. And and again, going back to that question of a super license, and again, why can't I have one?
1: Well, at the end of the day. The comparison is in F2 itself. I know mm. 2019 and 2022 aren't the same seasons, but Nick DeVries won Formula 2 in 2019. Logan Sargent hasn't won mm. this year. So I think, look, the this whole conversation about having an American driver is an exciting one. You know, we've had that with with Christian Horner and Red Bull, looking at Colton Herder, We've having a chat about it with Logan Sargent. But let's not forget, Logan Sargent was doing a phenomenal job in Formula 3 a couple of years ago and then really dropped off. Uh, and we haven't really spoken much about him as a Formula One community up until very recently. So I think we'll probably see in the next couple of weeks uh, where Pierre Gasly goes, where uh, De Vries will end up, and where Daniel Rick goes. I think we're probably two or three weeks away from knowing that full picture. Uh, and when it comes to Gotifi, he's kind of, As we've sort of been saying the last couple of weeks, anyway, he's kind of, we already sort of assumed that he wasn't getting the seat for 2023. So, look, let's see what crashes he can do to cause safety cars at inopportune times to see who can win the championship or not this weekend.
0: Well, there is a tradition of safety cars at Singapore, so I reckon that he could be in with a slingshot chance here to yes. uh, just go straight into a wall at one point. A, a Singapore slingshot into the wall for for Gotofi and that would send you out in the high. Um, sticking around, though, next year is Yuki. So Yuki Tsunoda announced, um, again, I don't think a huge surprise to a lot of people, but still quite an interesting one. Again, just kind of results if you list them out. He's quite unpredictable, um, I would say, or he doesn't have that consistency that we've seen from his teammate, for example, this superb driver that is Pierre Gasly. Um, were you surprised to see that they've confirmed UQ for next year or is that a no-brainer for you?
1: Not, not in the slightest, to be honest. I mean, it, it, to be honest, I don't think Red Bull had much of a choice with with who they were going to put in that second seat. I know there's, the you know, my tinfoil beanie theory about Danny <laughs> Rick going to Red Bull and, you know, Sergio being demoted to, to Alpha Tower and everything else. I mean, that was absolutely just nonsense. Let's be clear. I'm still here uh, for it. And probably very, <laughs> very emotionally driven. Look, as I said to, I said this uh, a while ago, I think uh, if Daniel Rick ends up out of the sport for for next year and uh, I end up doing some work with Formula One, it won't be such a bad thing for me because I won't have an emotional attachment to a driver. <laughs> Whereas at the moment, <laughs> that's all I do with Daniel. Uh, so, no, but I just don't think so because the Colton Herder thing was. was secured a couple of days ago with, you know, them saying, well, super license points, too bad. You're not going to get it. Red Bull had said, okay, we're not going to pursue that uh, at all now as an avenue. So maybe the the only thing that I think would happen is that Nick DeVries goes to AlphaTauri because Pierre Gasly goes to Alpine. Um, and Gasly is sort of saying at the moment and yesterday that, that he'll know his future in the next two to three weeks. Well, he's already signed for AlphaTauri. It's so bizarre.
0: So commentary yeah. like that
1: makes me think that, there's other things going on here. So I think for for that seat for Alpha Tauri, it kind of sounds to me that they're going to want some con- consistency, right? So there's no one in the Rebel Junior Program that's as good as Yuki uh, in the insofar as they haven't raced that Alpha Tauri in the same way as you were saying between Logan Sergeant and Nick DeVries. DeVries has raced now in that Williams, so people can see his statistics. Uh, Yuki's getting better is he ever going to be driving for Red Bull? No. Is next year probably his last year in Formula 1? Yes. So I think Red Bull is sort of saying, okay, well, let's just keep some consistency there. We don't know what's happening with Pierre Gasly yet. If Gasly goes to Alpine, De Vries potentially goes to Alpha Tauri and then so uh, Logan Sargent maybe has a look at that Williams seat, but there's still so much that we don't know and, one thing, I mean, I'm getting pretty over the driver market to be honest. I think that was really interesting for maybe a week or two, but then the conspiracy <laughs> theories and the ridiculousness and the fake headlines and these fake news websites and all these fake Twitter accounts and all this other stuff. Like it's just becoming too much. At the end of the day, until we have something with a verified blue check mark and no campy, that's not me and in my Instagram profile. <laughs> we should stop reading that. I'm not really that interested in having one because even then people like me would have been posted. I have absolutely no idea. So unless we know from a verified source... And I'm not talking about the race or autosport or anyone else. It's mm. basically Chris Medland. If, if you don't follow Chris Medland on, on Twitter, you should because he's probably got his ear closest to the ground and is very well respected as a journalist by a lot of Formula 1 teams. Michael yeah. Aminato or F1 Official... Don't bother talking about it because it's just absolute nonsense until we actually know something about it.
0: Uh, but we're all experts when we're given the microphone, James. Like, that's, that's what we're here for. <laughs> it's
1: bloody bloody podcasters, I tell you what. Anyone can start a Formula One podcast, and I wish they wouldn't.
0: Exactly. And they're all idiots. Um, so, no, it's interesting with Yuki. Like you said, I, I wouldn't mind being the last year. Next year is his, is his last year. But um, I hope he has some consistency and feels like he's achieved something with his career because I think he is someone who is at risk of kind of being really brutal, just not doing a lot. Um, And I just think that he's someone who has the, you know, there's a bit of potential there. Maybe he's not in the right environment. I don't know. We've kind of seen that it took him a while to be able to control a lot of the kind of the energy and the emotion and everything else that comes with this type of elite performance. He talks a lot about that in terms of having to actually understand that side of things. And you can't just go out and race and hope that it all goes well. Um, So I hope that he has enough time to kind of put those learnings and that development into action. But I think he's only got a year really left to do that, but like you said, depending on what's going on with that other seat, they might be after some consistency. But it is bizarre when you've got somebody who has a signed contract for next year saying, "I'll know what's happening in a couple of weeks." And you're there, just thinking, it just shows how, uh, you know, how quickly things can change. No matter if someone's already put pen to paper, and you're like, these, you know, contracts don't seem to be you know, worth the paper that they're printed on. But um, if it's like the has goggles, a,
1: the contracts, they do nothing. They do nothing.
0: <laughs> Indeed. All right. Let's keep moving on away from driver market and thinking about this weekend and some other news. Um, first of all, sprint races. So they've said that from next year there will be six events um, from twenty twenty three onwards. Sprint races. Now, I I think am maybe in the minority of people who quite enjoy a sprint weekend. However, I think it is very dependent on the track. In that, I think there are certain tracks and layouts that suit this style of format. There's others that don't. Like, I think Monza Sprint Race last year worked really well. um, And there were others which I think. You know they they worked really well. There's others which which didn't, Um, and I wouldn't certainly wouldn't want to see any more than six. Although if they get up to the probably 50 races that they want to have in 2024, (laughs) then half of those will be Mm. will be sprints. Um, But with a what is it 23, 24, 24 race calendar, six in my view is not too many. It's more dependent on which tracks they're at. What are your thoughts on the sprint format?
1: Look, I really like the sprint race format, to be honest, because I think from a fan point of view, or what Formula One's trying to do, to engage new people. No one really cares about free practice. You know, you, you don't, mm. you don't know what the teams are doing. The times don't mean anything to anyone. Uh, it is purely for them to figure out car setup and understand upgrades and all that sort of other stuff. And whilst that is important, it's not a very exciting television to watch. More often than not, what we've seen uh, with the last couple of sprint races is that they've been more interesting than the actual Grand Prix themselves. So to have these mini races or, or qualifying sessions in this way, I think is fine, as you say, so long as the tracks are the correct tracks. Um, and out of the, out of the 24 uh, races that we've got next year, for me there's only 15 tracks on the calendar that I'm excited for or, or about. So hopefully it's one of those 15. But it's going to end up like V8 supercars. With the amount of points on offer with six sprint races and 24 races, they're going to be saying, oh, Max Verstappen's won the championship on 104,273 points like <laughs> V8 Supercars has just ridiculous point strategy because we're mm. going racing so often and there's so many points being awarded. So I think so long as they figure out exactly where the points uh, are made, where the qualifying positions are, that is maybe... Maybe needs to be adjusted a little bit from this year. I think that this year is a lot better than last year. Mm. Um, Who gets like trophies and all that sort of other stuff, I think will be fine. But um, from a fan's point of view and certainly from a new fan's point of view, sprint racing is great. Uh, And if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. There's so many other races you can watch through the year. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well exactly, pick any other weekend and you'll find a race. I I think that the, pro- yeah, I, the, right. the the bigger issue is that there's just too many races and it kind of goes back to that. So if you only had, you know, 16 18 races and three of those were sprints, it would be a much better balance than having six and, and 24. I don't know it's my opinion, but I think it is quite good for spectators. Not, I know not everyone agrees with me. It is a very kind of divisive point. And I was kind of flicking through some of the comments on the the F1 kind of Instagram and stuff. And you know, it's yeah, why let's go find something. It's not broken and just break it. And like, Hey F1, where'd you go? All of these things. I'm like, I don't I actually don't hate it. Um, I think it makes it does make for a more exciting weekend. I think where you get in trouble is also if any of those fall on like in the triple headers or something like that. You go, whoa, that's a lot now. All of a sudden, um, throwing in that type of that type of prep and then you know obviously not a full race, but still those racing conditions um, for drivers that that becomes a lot. So I think they just have to plan it very very carefully in terms of where they are from a track perspective, but then when they fall in terms of the calendar as well. Um, let's keep moving. McLaren, they are pink this weekend. Just sling a Singapore pink paint at the car apparently. Although I have to say that their <laughs> their race suits are giving me Red Bull vibes. But um, I think it looks pretty cool as much as I'm not being terribly kind about it. I actually quite enjoy the pink feature. Um, for the weekend, it could look quite good under lights as well, depending on how it's actually designed. Um, I don't know, and it'll be here for a couple of weekends, so we'll get to see it a few times. Do you like the look of it?
1: Yeah, I think it looks fine. Um, I'm not necessarily sure about the sponsor, and I don't really like the ad that they did with DR <laughs> for that. That was just all kinds of weird. Anyway, the magician but, one. Uh, yeah, just the, the animatronic honey badger in the yeah, car it's and it, like. <laughs> Whoever writes that just needs to get off whatever they're on. But uh, anyway, good advertising decision, guys. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's fine, right? Um, The deliveries change all the time. I think under lights it's going to look pretty good. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like in the daytime around Japan.
0: So we've slung back to Singapore. We haven't been here, as we mentioned earlier, since 2019. Um, I love this track personally. Um, I think, and what's really interesting is that through the press conferences and things like that this weekend, what's really evident is how much the drivers love this track, Mm. Um, the way they've described it in terms of saying there's just no room for mistakes. It's a night race, obviously, which makes it different. It's the longest race. You know, staying alert is really challenging. It's hot. It's a straight circuit. But because of all of that is a very high sense of reward, which I think is just an interesting element to understand from the drivers in terms of going, yeah, there's races which might be Um, you know, not as hard work, um, both physically and and mentally challenging from them, but then it's not as high reward as well. So there's obviously something going on there when it comes to the competitive nature and feeling like they've kind of tackled some beast when it comes to this track. So I'm looking forward to it because I think it makes for better racing when they all want to be there and they're enjoying the race too. Um, An interesting weekend in that if Max wins and Charles, Charles finishes eighth or below Then he wins the championship. Oh, and Perez finishes. Oh, no, wait. And so, sorry, math has already done me. I get so frustrated with this thing where it's like, (laughs) Max can win the championship here. And you're going, okay, let's just look at the back points here and the backtracking and everything else. And it's Mm. like, if A, B, C, D, and E come into place, he's not winning. And it's actually not that complicated with this. But it's and he doesn't do you know what's really interesting is watching him talk, he doesn't look like he thinks that he's winning here either. He's gone just he's not, winning I'm not thinking here. about it. We're just gonna keep doing what we've done all reason, all season and focusing on one weekend at a time. I'm not convinced it's going to happen purely because there are so many things that need to line up, including yeah. how Charles performs. And I think they could potentially have a good weekend. But let's have a chance about some other drivers as well. We've got Albon back, maybe. Mm. So this I thought was interesting. Um, he's there. He's obviously at press conferences and talking and that type of thing and said, you know, I've been carding and it feels okay. Um, but the thing is that after, and again, I speak like a medical profession, to be clear, I'm not. Um <laughs> But it's one thing to allow your body to recover from surgery. It's another to allow your lungs to recover from being ventilated. Like that is a huge amount of pressure and stress Mm. on your body. And this is, as they've all explained, one of the toughest races of the season from that perspective, like from a a lung stress perspective, that is one of the things that makes it really hard. But then also limited limited mobility as well, which is going to be really, really challenging But listening to the way he actually spoke at the press conference, it was quite careful. It was kind of we'll see how I feel after free practice and if I feel good then I'll race. But, um, yeah, I I actually think he's still 50-50. He didn't look as well as he usually does. Let's put it that way.
1: I want Jack Aitken to race this Grand Prix. <laughs> to be honest, uh, he he is actually well. He's actually the reserve driver for Williams. Yeah. Um, I think the only reason Nick DeVries got the driver is because he was driving in Aston Martin earlier in in the weekend. So, mm. uh, I think I mean Jack's performance in Bahrain when George went up to the Mercedes when Lewis had COVID was was great, and that was an absolutely back of the pack car, and he still put a pretty decent performance in. I think he's also p- pulled the dance move of the week, which was like spinning on the last corner, um, <laughs> able to get into the pits to put some new tyres into it, which just looked good. But, yeah, it would be good to see Jack, I think, in that car. Uh, I think he or Nick would still struggle around this, this track anyway. There's just no way that you can put the performance in that a Formula One driver who's been training all year long will be able to, to have that kind of endurance. So I don't think Albon should race, to be honest. I don't think he needs to. There's, there's no point him damaging himself further for, for him to, to struggle along in the car next year. He's got a contract for next year. Williams and Yost are very happy with him. The board's happy with him. You know, his, his seat is not under threat. It'd be better for him to just sit out for a year and, a year, sorry, for a um a, <laughs> Just a race weekend. Just <laughs> take the rest of the season. Because, take the rest of the season. But even if he did, it wouldn't matter because he could still come back and show to Formula 1 that he deserves that place. So, yeah, I, I don't think he should race, to be honest. Um, he has nothing to prove. I think he's he's more than capable of, of driving a Formula 1 car. Teams know that. Uh, and whether or not his long-term strategy is with Williams or with Red Bulls or whatever it is, that's fine, but I think he just needs to focus on recovering because what a scary situation that was for him to to have that and then being in the ICU for a while too. Uh yeah, just no good. So I think his main focus should be looking after himself because whoever replaces him as a reserve driver will be going for the seat that's next to him in the number six car anyway, not for for the his seat. So mm. uh, I wouldn't worry too much if if I were him.
0: Yeah, I tend to feel the same way, especially given what it is that is difficult about this track in terms of the humidity and that type of thing. And, you know, these cars take a completely different toll on their bodies that they've been describing because they're so stiff and much harder to kind mm. of wrangle in comparison to previous years' designs. So, I yeah, I kind of feel the same way actually in terms of just <laughs> – they're just never going to, right? if you, If they have any inkling that they think they'll be okay, they're going to put themselves out there. I think sometimes it's very easy though to kind of – lose perspective on, on those situations. Um, but sticking with, with Williams, obviously we've discussed, um, Latifi, um, you know, not signing for, for next year, not really any surprises. And he's kind of acknowledged that, look, and you, this is obviously the first time that he's come out since, since that news, um, broke, but, uh, he said, yeah, look, I, I understand it's not the results that they've hoped to have seen. Um, I would love to have Kept on the journey with them, but you know, look, I'm just going to focus on the last couple of races, and then hopefully ending on a on a high. Too early to say what's next for him, but he kind of said, you know, that that triple header triple header break, <laughs> as it turned out to be, um, with the Russia race cancelled, um, you know, actually came at a really right a really good time for him to be able to process that, and now just be able to come back and enjoy enjoy his last few races. Um, Going back to Bill Claren, they've got a new livery and there's also going to be some upgrades as well this weekend. They will be on Lando's car, not on Daniel Ricciardo's car. Um, Lando's kind of, in talking about, Singapore feels like it's pretty difficult to put a lap together here and just get everything right. He's like sometimes you get one or two bits and pieces right but having the whole thing come together is really difficult but that's why it's so rewarding because it's one of the most the hardest places to do that. So he, there's quite a big upgrade package on his car. I think they've kind of said in the way of floor and side pods and all sorts of things but it won't be on DR's car. Um, he will hopefully get them in Japan, but he kind of very cheekily said, well, maybe I want them in Japan, but maybe I don't. What if they don't work? <laughs> what if they're, if they're fast, then i look forward to it. But if not, then you can hold on to them, which I thought was, um, he had an interesting kind of way of, uh, talking about, you know, the differences in, in, um, discussion there. But again, very, just, he's just such a professional when it comes to those types of things. He just said, look, this is all gearing towards 2023. Uh, Lando's gonna be racing for McLaren. I won't be, so I, you know, again, nothing personal, it just is what it is. Um, but he obviously mm. he's got a pretty big smile on his face this weekend, actually. I think he likes racing here, from what from what he's saying this weekend. And he said, I'm I'm ready to pleasantly suffer, so to speak, because it is one of those oh. toughest <laughs> one of the toughest races. But, you know, he's never won here though. He's come second here a few times. Um, but seems to be seemed to be in pretty good spirits, I thought.
1: Yeah, it makes absolute sense for McLaren to put those upgrades on Lando's car and not on Daniel's. Uh, There is, you know, and as much as we all love Daniel on this podcast, there is absolutely no reason for McLaren to invest in DR and his performance for the rest of his career with McLaren. Uh, That's just a fact. And if if you can't process that or you think it's a conspiracy... Just settle down, honestly, because it's not. <laughs> it just makes absolute sense with budget caps and understanding the car and, yeah, I mean, the future is in, in Lando and let's hope that the upgrade packages do work so that when Oscar jumps in the car, he has the ability to perform well there too. Uh, one thing I would say is that whatever upgrades are brought to the McLaren, it's not going to help Daniel because whatever whatever is was fundamentally wrong with the car from the beginning of his time in Bahrain in twenty twenty. Uh, 2021 rather, to to this new car, he's still not been able to get his head around it. I don't think a significant upgrade package is going to help him in that respect. So I think the reason he's buoyant is because he's spent the last couple of weeks in Perth. So he's been at home, hanging out with his family, hanging out with his parents, uh, and, and really just trying to get back into a good zone. Of course, he's going to be un- under a little bit of pressure by himself, trying to figure out, he and his management anyway, about what's happening with him for mm. next year. So... If he can enjoy himself on track and have some good on-track performances, then I think that's great. I mean, he is very good at, as you say, being professional and, and trying to rise above it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him really struggle with this weekend because if you don't have total confidence in the car, there is absolutely no way you're putting a, a mega lap in. Um, we're probably going to see some DRS trains as well. So it's going to be unfortunate. So I think he just needs to enjoy yeah. all of the things around the Grand Prix weekend and not actually the performance of the car for the weekend.
0: It does seem likely, like you said, if it's like many of the other um, street tracks, it's you just have to trust to you have that, that full confidence in the car to be able to – put it on the limit and he hasn't been able to do that all season so I don't really see why it would change here even if he's in a better mood (laughs) but that also comes to comes from things being known right because even once that news broke he would have he would have known that for a little while, and I think when you're holding on to stuff like that, it's going to make you very uncomfortable mm. in front of the camera, and generally speaking, um, you know, unlikely to cut, be, be your usual self. So it was good to see that because so he did seem to have a bit of a, a shift in his demeanour this weekend. And if nothing else, you hope that they've that he has a good weekend with everything else that surrounds Grand Prix. Um, moving on to Mercedes, so we've got we've got Lewis here, four time winner, loves it. Um, he has complained about ride quality here in the past, which given the Mercedes performance this season could be a bit of a concern for them in that they're probably in for a bit of a bumpy ride, but they have got some of that sorted and obviously the new regulation, new um, technical directive has affected that somewhat. Um, George definitely sounds like they're banking on a safety car, which to be fair is, um, you know, historically likely based on this track. And hey, Latifi is still here for the rest of the season. Um exactly. but it'll be interesting to see how, how they go. I reckon they could be up for challenging this weekend actually. Um I don't know, there's something about uh their their confidence how the the car has actually made some massive improvements throughout the year like they're not in the same position of others who kind of came out on a high and then haven't really done much they have been figuring out their problems very effectively which is interesting because we weren't sure that was going to happen um and we talked about that earlier in the year in terms of whether or not we thought that mercedes would be able to sort themselves out um, and if they had the kind of capacity from an organizational perspective to solve those problems and have to work very differently um, with things like the cost cap being imposed on them so um um, yeah, I, th- I think they could be in for a good weekend. Um, and the other thing as well that would help with that is that I think they've resurfaced different parts of the track as well to try and reduce um, the bumpiness um, and, and improve the ride quality there for them. So that could could be helping Mercedes this weekend, given that that's one of the concerns that they've been sharing.
1: It's a street circuit. Of course it's bumpy. It's like legitimately actually a street circuit, though, <laughs> unlike, uh, you know, Jeddah and yeah. even Albert park to a point I mean it's a park
0: fake Miami my, gar- car park Yeah exactly
1: right <laughs> like it's actually the streets of Singapore which which is so good in so many different ways so yeah there'll be a lot of bumps mm. and that's just is what it is it, it's fine you know I think they're just going to have to deal with it and it's part of this track uh, and regard and I mean Lewis was complaining about that when the cars weren't porpoising so It'll be interesting to see what, you know, they do. But as you say, with the new technical regulations and everything yeah. else, I think the thing will be fine. It'll still be bumpy and, you know, whatever. They'll just have to get over it and move on. you
0: <laughs> T- who's moving on to his 350th race, no less, is Alonso. Like what a star. Um, it's a big weekend for him. And they've both got new floors, which, um, you know, they were interesting for Alpine in that when they've brought upgrades throughout the season, they seem to have worked, um, which is not the same for every team when they've, they've brought upgrades along and everyone gets excited and then nothing happens. <laughs> that hasn't been the case for, for Alpine. They do seem to understand their car really well and when they bring upgrades they seem to have an effect. But a big weekend for him. He posted something on his um, Instagram actually just being absolutely swamped by um, supporters. Um, doesn't look like he'll have a moment to himself this weekend. Um, to you, though, who hasn't raced here is Mick. Mick. He's never raced here, so he. While you've got other people who are approaching their seven, th- 350th race, he hasn't actually raced here, so he's going to be relying on Sims quite significantly. And of course, what other people are telling him, um, which he kind of mentioned, is that I've been asking the other guys what it's like um, in combination with doing obviously his own time simulator. So it's always interesting, I think, when you have somebody on the track for the first time because they're they're coming in uh, from a completely different angle. Um, but, yeah, different, different weekend for him, of course, as well. But let's get into everyone's favourite part of Free Practice, Freya's Free Practice Fridays. I can't even get my own name right for this.
1: None of us related. can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> None of us can. Unfortunately, the phlegm-free Fridays was rolling off the tongue most easily. But um, Also, great that joke a really that you made. Campy came and join me.
1: Well, and he completely missed the joke as well, which was also hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I was like, just just wait a minute, mate. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let yeah. me finish my joke. Take a can, couple of seconds to sink in. Continue. And there
1: it is. Good.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, very good. Um, so this, our profile for this weekend is is Ruth, oh, my gosh, why can't I speak? Ruth Buscom. Now this was actually um, a recommendation. We asked our um, patrons, who mm. would you like us to profile on this podcast? And this is one of the names that came was that came up. So we're very happy to be going through her background and talking about her role as the head of race strategy for Alpha Romeo. So who is she? She is, like I said, the head of race strategy for Alfa Romeo at the moment, Formula One team. Um, she, quote unquote, went from being wanting to be a princess to being an astronaut to being wanting to be in F1, and all of that very rapidly by the time she was 11. So <laughs> I think I think I'd actually gone from like ballerina to like literally wanting to be like a rally car driver by the time I was about 16, but to go princess astronaut working in F1 by the time you're 11 is um, some pretty clear directive there. (laughs) It is efficient, much like she is, I would say, in in many ways. Um, And she says that she was pretty single-minded as a kid and, you know, like I said, from age 11 she just wanted to work in F1. So her dad was a big McLaren fan, which she said he came to terms with after she got her first job at Ferrari. He said, okay, well, (laughs) If you have to work in F1, that's not so bad. <laughs> um, but he would take her down to Silverstone and she said, you know, it was just one of those things that just clicked with me in that it was a perfect combination of things which I loved, which was maths and competition. So this is something we talk about a little bit when we're profiling different people working in F1 is how it creates this perfect kind of meeting of things that you're good at when it comes to aptitudes for example and then things that you actually really enjoy doing things like sport like competition and this was certainly the case for her by by everything she kind of she describes in terms of what she's loved and she said look at the time I was making those things combined through doing mathletes math and then when I learned that you could go and work in Formula One as an engineer she was like okay yeah that.'" That, that's a bit cooler. That's a bit cooler than athletes. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. But the other thing which is interesting with people who are um, kind of, I suppose, at this age, you know, people who are not kind of entering the sport now straight out of university is how they found out what to go and do um, in order to work in F1 because you didn't have idiots like me profiling people and saying this is what they went and did and creating um, that that information kind of changed for other people. Um, not to say that that's how people would go and learn how to get into F1, but, now, but you know, information was not as easy to find. But what she did do, she's like, you know, Google was around and um, I literally just looked up James Allison and Patty Lowe and just said, well, what did they do? And so both of them went to Cambridge. They did aerospace and aerothermal engineering and she said, cool, well, I'll just do that then. Um, and obviously so James Allen, who's now Chief Technical Officer at Mercedes, Patty Lowe, who has been between Williams, McLaren, Mercedes and back to Williams and is now running his own technology business making synthetic fuels. Um, but for her, in terms of where they were at their careers and where she was, was looking to to go, she literally said that. And there's was a great interview with her um, on uh, Beyond the Grid. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Beyond the Grid. And they um, – they said, you know, how did you pick those two? What was it about about them? She goes, oh, no, they were literally the first two to come up on Google. So that's how I decided. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think we should all just build into our decision making a little bit more often in terms of first two things to come up on Google. Let's just go do it.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's fair enough. If you're in Australia, the, if you search F1 podcast, we're the first result. So I am fully supportive of that
0: very good point very good point exactly just follow the first couple of things to to arrive in your search engine so she went and did what James and Patty did cool I'll do that too so off she goes to Cambridge University um, first class honors um, as a graduate from the department of en- engineering now really interestingly her, thesis project so they do these master's collaborations um, often between F1 and the FIA and the universities so hers was um, on the DRS zones so they they were still very new when she was at university and was trying to figure out what the impact was essentially um, on on races depending on how how they set the DRS zones and all that time I'm simplifying this massively obviously um, but a lot of that involved, Simulating different races and considering the effect on on strategy and what that would mean when it comes to Formula One racing, um, and I just I, I, again I just find it fascinating um, listening to you know what these now professional engineers um, and strategists were studying with, with things that are now on track um, and that we're that we're kind of living as as part of our own race weekends. So. That was what she studied, and part of that for her was a collaboration with the FIA in order to to understand what impact they would have on the racing. And that helped her to understand that what strategy meant basically when it came to to Formula One. Um, and that was something as she kind of said, okay, maybe, Maybe that's where I'll start targeting my efforts when it comes to working in F1 is, is actually through strategy. So people tried to lead her down the simulation path, but she knew that strategy was where it's at. So out of university, um, she got her first job at Ferrari, which, like I said, I think bud sounds of her interviews um, broke her McLaren fan dad's heart, um, but came to terms with over time. Um, And then eventually um, she did step up to the role of of race strategist um, with Ferrari, then moved on to Haas um, to become the team strategy engineer. Um, she made this move. She describes it in terms of just really understanding that she wanted to grow, she wanted to advance, and that didn't seem like it was going to be a possibility for her in the near future at Ferrari. But also that she wanted to be trackside. So she had been factory based for the most part, and really wanted to to be trackside. So the two things that really drove that move to Haas for her, one was growth and advancement, um, and the second one was wanting to be trackside. So after Haas. Um, She then went on to Sauber. Now, in those two those two moves, those two moves are some really um, important career moments. They're kind of nested in there, which I wanted to talk about briefly. So the first one was Malaysia in 2015. So this is Vettel's first win with Ferrari. They had lost their head of strategy at the start of. That race, so at the start of that season, and they had new one. Have coming they ever in found strategy kind of again? Have they ever or- found them? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was about to say, and we're still waiting for the. And replacement. we're still looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so they lost their head of strategy at the start of that season, and we're waiting for a new one to come in. I think it was around kind of their third or fourth race for for the season. But she said we basically had the B team kind of left holding the strategy. Italian strategy, baby, um, for, for several races. Um, and she said for a brief moment there, a lot of responsibility kind of fell on people who wouldn't usually have that, which in and of itself is just interesting to see how people respond to being given that type of responsibility, which they, which they wouldn't be used to and how you kind of step up to that, how you handle it and that type of thing. But they ended up, um, having to make, again, and having to make intense decisions um, under pressure, which they they wouldn't usually have been under. Um, And they had to decide whether or not to stay out, come in and pit. And she was the one who actually had to make that call and say, nope, staying out, we're doing a two-stop. And she said, you know, that was the right thing to do, which helped them to beat Mercedes in that race, which was, which was her call, and she said they asked me a couple of times. It wasn't a what should we do and gave them the answer and off they went. They said they came back and they said, are you sure? And she said, you you really just have to back yourself in that moment. She'd been there for Mm. four years at that point and she said, look, being a British woman working for Ferrari, you don't always feel a strong sense of belonging. And then when they asked me that question multiple times, (laughs) I still didn't feel a strong sense of belonging. But when it worked, that was when I felt like I belonged. Um, it was in that moment and, and after that win. So just a really interesting um, kind of opportune moment, I suppose, for her to to demonstrate that kind of ability and conviction um, more, mm. than, more than anything else. The other big career moment nested in those moves was going to Haas um, and 2016, um, which was their first race. Um, as a new team with Roman Grosjean, and they finished sixth. And <laughs> she said, "I still can't decide if this is a good decision or bad decision. I think it was a good decision." But she slept on the floor the night before, um, and she said, basically, it was it was my first time ever track side. I had never been track side with a Formula One team in this in this role. So first time trackside, new software, new team, first time doing the job, and the night before she'd worked through to 6am and she had to be back at the track by 8. And so back to your point of efficiency, James, she just said, well, I was going to lose commute time by going back to the hotel. So I figured I would just sleep on the floor. But she goes, hey, we're a new team. All of the the overalls were new, so it was fine. They made a great blanket.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> but, I know, right? Um, but again, similar decision where she said we had to decide whether or not to stay out, and she said again, just made the right call in that moment. Red, we, she's like, I was sure based on the simulations I had done that the red flag was going to happen, um, and that's exactly what did happen. We made the right call. We were able to change on the red flag, um, and those, and that was for her. She goes, it wasn't even about having made the right decision. Um, in that moment and therefore you know, helping Roman to get a, a great result with with points in their first race as a, as a new team as much as the personal challenge of that day in terms of everything we've already listed, um, new team, new role, new software, still figuring things out. And she said the the um, engineers and mechanics were doing everything they can to try and get her to do like a no no pit stop race because she said we'd had such little pit stop practice that they were like, no, stop, no, stop, no, stop. And so when she she said, you know, this is a situation that you're working under to have made the right call but to have overcome that day, which for her was just such a massive personal and professional challenge, um, is something that she kind of, she looks back on as um, being a really important moment for her.
1: Mm, Pass and pit stops just do do not go together in 2016, (laughs) 17 or 18, honestly. What a disaster.
0: Yeah. But she, so she moved from, from Haas. um, She, so that was, that was a fairly short um, kind of stint and then moved, moved, went on to, to Sauber. So this is what I wanted to get stuck into a little bit, which was her, I suppose, um, attitude when it comes to the role of a strategist and this is I, I just think, find it very um, like it's quite fascinating to listen to different people doing the same roles in different teams because they do talk about it quite differently and we talked about that in terms of the size of the team how the different people work together who actually makes the decisions and their roles and how they affect the people around them because um, they do all kind of share different views on it and the, the fundamentals are probably there but their their experience and their attitudes towards the role that they play in a team is, is quite different. But for her, the way she describes being a strategist um, is that your job is just to facilitate the best possible decision-making and make them in a timely manner. So two things, best possible decision in an efficient way. That's as simple as it is, James, when it comes to being a strategist in Formula One. Um, Do you have to have an English accent when you talk about it, though? yeah, we do. You absolutely do. Um, and she has a great anecdote about the Brits, which I'm going to come back to on that on that note. Um, but what she does share, which is very similar to to others, is, just how early all of the planning starts before a race. She said, you know, it can be up to 12, 13 weeks before a race actually happens that they're running through simulations and gathering all of their data and understanding what the different possibilities will be. And in terms of how that has changed over even her time in Formula One is just how much more live data they're getting. So she's saying, you know, even during winter testing, um, the tyre data and what everyone is running, so we used to have to go out there and actually manually spot which tires other people were using, and then go and look at the data that we had to see what, what was going on. So, from a software perspective, that's one of the biggest changes that she's seen evolve. Um, more plugins, better simulations, more powerful computing, allowing them to make better predictions and, and those types of things. And as a, obviously, for her, all of those things means that her role has completely changed quite dramatically um, when it comes to the strategies itself, you know, it's like when you can predict more, when the computations are more powerful, strategies evolve. Um, and of course, every time someone does something that then gets added to the playbook. So you're constantly trying to come up with new and different ideas. Um, again, just an interesting way of, of thinking about strategy in terms of, yeah, you kind of, you have this playbook of, well, this team did this in, 2014 and that worked really well in the wet but it didn't in the dry so how can we add that to to our repertoire not something i would never necessarily thought about i don't think
1: and i think it's it's interesting because we play it off you know from a media point of view it's like oh we expect it to be a two-stop race or ferrari a useless strategy whatever else like we from the outside it's very easy to dismiss you know but simple just box him now or box him later or box him whenever but there's so much more to it because of All of the other things, I mean, you know, best laid plans, first encounter with the enemy, they all completely go out of the window. And so you really always need to have the playbook of what to do when stuff goes in a completely different direction to what you were expecting. And that's half of expecting that whole plan, right? So Ruth and Hannah and a whole bunch of other people who make these decisions, when it does come off, like, you know, you were saying with what she did with uh, Ferrari, then they go, oh, it's fantastic, but it's so easy to bin them even though they probably made all the right decisions with all of the data that they had in front of them at the time. Um, it's just they either got played by a safety car or one of the other strategists maybe saw something that they didn't. And as you say, once that's done though, let's see, you can't use that you know, special play again, especially not the next weekend because people will be thinking about it. So uh, it's such an incredible thing. And it, I mean, her head must be just so full of all of the things all of the time from all of the races she's ever done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. So, so here's what it means in our books to be a, a race strategist: you have to be good at making decisions quickly and be able to have a head full of things. That's that's really what it comes down to. Um, technical terms. The other mm. <laughs> the other technical terms. The other thing which I thought was interesting here is again her how she sees her role in the team. So she said, you know, we are there to deploy a team game plan. And, you know, that can change in terms of what your plan is, is how close you are to your nearest rivals. That can change depending on where you are in the championship, how competitive your car is, um, how individuals and the team might be placed. And, you know, is it likely to be a track that suits your rivals? So are we now in a kind of defensive space in comparison to how our car is performing and or is this a a track where we are likely to be able to kind of make some more um, strategic moves? But it's not the job of the strategist to decide what the game is. So, so you've got this team game, someone else decides what it is. Our job is to tell people how to deliver it and here are the different ways in which you can deliver it. So, for example, if the team principal says, right, our job this weekend is to maximise points with both drivers, how can we do it? And she'll say, okay, we go now and look at our simulations and all the calculations that we run and what we think is likely to happen and we'll go, here's plan A, B and C. But it's not our job to decide that that's what they should be doing this, that weekend in terms of trying to maximise the point with both drivers. They might other on other weekends say, no, no, we're very much prioritising driver A over driver B. Um, and she said, you know, it's our job to then tell them how to do that. What might actually about be about the different ways in which you could go about it? And she said, look, yeah, it is. Sometimes it is just about one driver. Um, so it might, how do we use our second driver in that weekend? to stop another team who we know are likely to be very strong. Like, are we going in for a defensive mechanism that weekend? Absolutely. Um, so, again, just being really transparent with that, but all then also how she sees her role um, I thought was was quite interesting. Um, but then again, she said, you know, but when it comes down to that weekend, as you say, she's like, it's like, I want it to be 98% preparation and then with an, just enough space to react But the aim still is not to be running live calculations. You know, you just don't have time for that and people aren't informed. So you're essentially just descending through decision-making approaches as the race changes, but you're prepared for every one of those changes to approach. But the Mm. other elements of, yeah, so the other elements of her job, um, she's also part of the Pirelli Working Group. Um, when it comes to providing feedback after events and this is something that she seems to be quite passionate about in the way that listening to the way that she talks about it um, in terms of saying you know, this is a way that I can kind of impact racism of the future <laughs> so to speak because we give feedback after events which can then change tile allocation for, for following years um, and that type of thing so she said you know there's a group of us who then go and, and give that feedback um, to to Pirelli and she said you know We found that the tyres behaved in this way, in this temperature. I think next year you could probably, you know, try a softer tyre and they might actually last better than we we thought they would based on the performance under this temperature and that type of thing. So she's part of a working group whose goal is to constantly improve the races of the future um, from that perspective so we're not all just sitting here talking about how no one could get heat into their tyres and people are spinning out of pit lanes. So again, yep. just interesting to hear about how all of these roles, yes, they've got their their roles in the teams, but then they're also helping to evolve the sport and the races that we will will see you know, on the seven hundred races of next year's calendar.
1: <laughs> it's one of the things that honestly, like, genuinely, really love this addition to our lineup, and I think it's such a, and I'm I'm glad that we've we've done Ruth so so quickly after Hannah too, because it's such a big part of the world of Formula One that. From a podcast point of view, we've just never really gone into before, but from a listener point of view and, and the couple that you've done where I have been able to listen and edit um, whilst you <laughs> <laughs> smashed me. You're welcome. Bloody <laughs> swearing and everything else. No. Sorry. Uh, it, it's been really good. It, it, so, and <laughs> Campy certainly isn't. So I think it's it's really interesting to, to understand this sort of stuff. And I mean, there's plenty of other people in the paddock that I can't wait for you to profile as well, but... From a listener point of view, I think, and as we go through the next couple of races, it's so good for us as fans of the sport too to to have this little bit of extra knowledge to be thinking about this when we see a safety car come out and, you know, with the knowledge that it's not just the drivers and it's not just the race engineers, it's this whole suite of other people and regardless, Ruth might sit on the pit wall, she might sit in the garage, you know, but there's a the whole suite of team back at Sauber headquarters as well who are doing similar things as you spoke about with Hannah and the ability for them to to sort of go back to the factory or be uh, trackside to be able to do these things. I think it's awesome. Like it, there's so much more to this sport than just just the drivers, just Christian Horner and Toto Wolf and Gunther Steiner <laughs> uh, and and just, you know, Bono, my tyres are gone or
0: Brad. <laughs> <laughs> As much as we love it, I mean, you know, it's a bet that I'm happy to make as to how quickly Lewis's Hamilton style go. But that's an interesting point, right, and you talk about, you know, coming up to this weekend and we're saying, you know, what might Alfa Romeo try? Well, listening to interviews with people like Ruth, like Hannah, actually gives you some insight to that. So Ruth, when talking about, you know, the different types of strategies, they ask her questions like, you know, do you have to change a strategy according to driver or, you know, obviously according to team when you're on the championship. She's like, yeah, but you know what the fun part is and she uses this kind of stock analogy in a lot of ways where she's like your actions and choices need to be proportionate to the risk so you take more risks when you're starting further down the track for example because the reward is so much higher but if you are literally about to win a championship and you just have to win this race regardless of countback points and everything else and all the maths that I can't do then you're not taking <laughs> you're not going to take big risks on on that weekend whereas if you have two drivers who you could both get into the points maybe if you play your cards right and you might have to try something a bit exotic to get them there. You you have a, not free reign necessarily, but you that is a risk that's proportionate to the reward. And so she said that's kind of um, you know one of the things that is quite interesting in working with a kind of a midfield team is that, not to say there's less at stake, there is always a lot at stake in Formula One, but you can... Be more experimental because there's there is less at stake at stake when it comes to championship points and and the like. And um, I, I thought that was that was quite interesting, especially as we're going straight into a weekend like this one. Again, it is a street circuit. Um, it might see some interesting kind of pit stop strategies and that type of thing. You know, you're thinking about that stuff in terms of going. Oh, I wonder if they're you know going to try something that they haven't done before and see how that plays out. Um, and you do hear some drivers talking about that quite a bit, but. The other thing which I thought was um, fascinating and we, we picked this up a little bit was just how much knowledge the strategists have of other drivers strengths and weaknesses because this is not just an attacking game it's also a defensive game and she said you know no one does a pit entry like Hamilton um, and she's like no one finds lines like Max." you know, he's the only one who will, will find certain lines. So we know that there's certain ways that we wouldn't or would try and defend against him. Um, you know, some drivers are really good when it comes to blue flags. Others don't seem to be able to handle them very well. So she's like you know, you need to know how and what to push others to kind of best exploit their weaknesses. So I think that's something that I probably found not entirely surprising but perhaps how much of a focus that was was understanding other people's game plans and not necessarily game plans, but the strengths within those and how they're playing to them in order to best develop their own um, from a from a defensive strategy perspective.
1: Yeah, and again, it's not like just knowing your whole team. It's knowing the other 18 drivers on the mm. grid too, as you say, and even blue flags. So what's Latifi going to do? Is, uh, is there going to be Canadian on Canadian crime here when – you know, yeah. Valtteri is trying to get past or if they're lapping or whatever else. Like, And, again, it just adds so much more data and thought process to try and make those decisions. So, again, it just highlights how much work these guys have to do constantly thinking lap to lap where we can just go, oh, it's lap 74 and I'm bored. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hopefully it's not like that this weekend because it is going to be a long race. Um, but just before we wrap up on Ruth, there are two two things I wanted to mention. One is that we do always talk about when we talk, when we are profiling or highlighting um, a female who's working in motorsport is some of the work that they're doing to promote um, women working in the industry. And she is an ambassador for Dare to be Different and is is doing a lot of work around that, like many of the other women who we've been talking about recently. And again, I think one thing which i one of the things that I think is important for us to bring to people's attention is where they feel the challenges are. So for her, she talks about, you know, not dissimilarly from some of the others, right back at school. And she said, you know, I did have teachers kind of trying to dissuade me from doing engineering, not because I wasn't good at it, because they questioned whether or not it was something that I actually wanted to do. That to me is mind-blowing, Um, the idea of kind of going, you're really good at this Mm. thing, but I'm going to still question whether or not you, are you sure you really want to do that? Um, And she said, you know, that is a thing that we have to change. And she talks about, and she again, she's got this great um, kind of analogy. She said, you know, Ferrari make these tiny little red plastic cars. And if you go find a kid who's playing with toy cards, you guarantee they're going to have a little red one and red means Ferrari. So when those people grow up to be millionaires, they want a red Ferrari. <laughs> um, you know, it's like you're planting these ideas in people's heads when they're really, really little. So when you are talking to to children about what they want to be when they grow up, or the toys that they are presented with to play with. You know, give give your girls a bloody race car, um, give them a screwdriver, or you know, like give them things that are going to open the world up to them and and not close them off. So I thought that was that was really cool and an interesting way of thinking about it. And you mentioned yeah. British accent, which I was not actually intending to put on, I don't think, but she has a great anecdote here. It <laughs> just happened. It um, just happened. Started talking about Formula One and became a Brit. Um, she uh, <laughs> she got asked by Tom Clarkson about when they were starting to introduce changes to DRS um, and DRS zones, whether or not there was pushback from that and how people felt about it. And she said, this is about the, the British. She goes, yeah, but if you take away our ability to complain about everything Who are we really? And on that
1: note. (laughs) And on that I just thought that was not really a bit of a disappointment or bombshell.
0: (laughs) Um uh, yeah, on that note, we also learned that she's got a fantastic sense of humor. So good on you, Ruth. We love reading about your background and listening to your interviews and learning about the contribution that you're making to this sport and epic career that you're having. So you're an absolute star. Kudos, claps in Campy's words. Um, oh, to you that's it's <laughs>
1: God, the, half the stuff this guy says is like it's a completely different language and I just don't think anything is connected here kudos claps seriously
0: well, yeah but clicking while he's doing it anyway it's fine
1: um, yeah I know that's just, it from me James uh,
0: is there anything that we haven't talked about in the lead up to Singapore that you wanted to cover off or have I been dabbling along for a not long now a long enough time now. I well, I don't no, think I
1: think it's, it's a great good. summary. I don't think Max Verstappen is winning this uh, the championship this weekend. I think uh, it would make better sense for Honda. Uh, to win the world championship in, Suz- in Suzuka, Japan. So uh, if anything, they'll probably try and wait. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, to be honest, I think from a podium point of view, I think we'll probably see Max on the, Ooh, the top step.
0: That is a conspiracy theory I haven't heard. Uh, yet.
1: Top step would be will be Max. I think George will be second and Perez will be third, which will negate any ability with, with Charles and everything else. So I just think Ferrari's strategy will be not so good. I think Mercedes are getting better and better, so we'll probably see Lewis around the fourth, fifth position. Um, I think George has probably just got, the edge on Lewis at the moment from a Mercedes point of view, so I think we'll see that uh, Ferrari will just do Ferrari things, um, and we haven't had a car catch on fire recently for Ferrari, so that potentially could be Charles's car this time. Considering last and time that, that was Carlos, that is, that so is also something
0: that happens. That's also something that happens in Singapore, so you know it's uh, again histor- historically. This could be the place to do it. Do you reckon that Lewis is going to get his win this season?
1: No. I just don't think – I think next year the the pace is for Mercedes is coming there. I think the first win for Mercedes uh, will come with George, to be honest, more than, than Lewis. And I don't think it's – again, it's necessarily a he's faster. He just seems to I – mean, and Cavius to say this, like Valtteri always had the bad luck in Mercedes and Lewis always had the good luck. I think that's maybe shared now a little bit. Um, but every time there seems to be a safety car, George seems to benefit from it more so than Lewis for this year. So mm-hmm. – uh, potentially, we could see something happen. I mean, Mercedes are really catching the pace. They'll finish second in the championship ahead of Ferrari. That's just the kind of thing that will happen with this team. As you said, they're making significant gains as we go along. I uh, oh, Look, I would love for Lewis to, to do that for this year, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Max is so dominant, um, and George seems to be so lucky in with strategy and everything else that he's it's going to have to all go right. He's going to have to do, you know, put it on pole and then lead the whole race and and do what Lewis is used to doing, which is being out front early and and staying there.
0: I also don't think that George would gift it to him. And not that that's a situation that he would necessarily no. be in, but I think George is they are more they're far more interested in getting a Mercedes win than a Lewis win. That if George was in a position to, even if they could play a strategy in order to hand that to Lewis, um, I don't think he would. I don't think he would do it. Um, So I think I I agree. I think that if they're going to get a win this season, I think it's more likely to come with with George. Um, And that's partially also Lewis. I think was testing a lot of stuff earlier in the year, and George wasn't. So he actually had a far more stable car for for a long time and then played his cards right and kind of just stayed out of trouble and then he's had some luck when it comes to safety cars and that type of thing but um I think I think as a team they're going to be chasing a win but I'm not convinced that it'll actually be Lewis who gets it so
1: and do you know, do you know what? I don't think Lewis would expect George to get out of the way and give him and hand him the win either. Like I think Lewis would would want to win it on track properly, like mm. doing a wheel to. Even even if it is overtaking George on track, doing it wheel to wheel and not having any team radio because I think that just delegitimizes the actual victory itself. Uh, and I think Lewis is like Lewis has grown a lot as a individual but also as a racer for for this season as a result of what happened in Abu Dhabi. So yeah, I mean it's just I think it's all to play for with, with Toto probably in wanting to invest more in George because he's the future. There's just absolutely no doubt about that. And a first win for him would be great whenever it comes. Um a, a win for Lewis this year is great whenever it comes. But realistically, he's not winning the championship this year, so does it really matter? He's got I mean his trophy cabinet, he must have a massive storage locker with a lot of trophies <laughs> in it at this point
0: he does I'm sure I'm sure he does and I'm sure he's kept every single one of them
1: what's your prediction for the podium
0: um this weekend I'm going George Max and
1: I mean pick any other driver Collins. there's another 18 okay good All right great fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Look, Carlos. Carlos is um, a good shout. And also,
0: we can the other, the other, the other, the one prediction. The one prediction we can be sure of is that even under the Singapore sweat, Carlos is going to take his helmet off and he's going to look like an absolute god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love it.
0: Maybe it's because I've been watching Carlos Sainz senior on Extreme E this weekend that I'm just very much in the the Science boat.
1: Yeah, he's always he's always gonna look good. Although K mags hair is always a strong second, so we'll see uh, see how much product he uses to make sure it stays exactly like that when he. Uh, takes the helmet off at the end of it but I think it's going to be an interesting race it'll be interesting to see whether or not this is a DRS train track or if if we do see significant ability to, to follow and overtake because of course this is the first time we've been here as you said for a long time new car regulations all that sort of other stuff so mm. it might it, honestly it might go from being traditionally a great track to being now a boring track with DRS trains we just don't know but it's it's exciting nonetheless that we get to go back to Singapore uh, and be envious of everyone who's there drinking including you fans listening listeners whatever you're doing I know there's a couple of lakeside drive people who are there this weekend so just have an incredible time whatever you're doing
0: absolutely I reckon someone's just like, yeah I mean look we can all just hope for a slingshot safety car that's going to keep things interesting no matter what and there'll be some people who complain about good luck there'll be some people who complain about bad luck and all of a sudden their opinions will change as to whether or not you're allowed to change your tires under a safety car when it doesn't work for them but we'll see what happens like you said new track as far as these cars are concerned so we'll see what happens but that's it for this gradually fizzling out free practice Fridays with with Freya thanks for joining me James
1: absolute pleasure thanks for having me
0: (laughs) you're very welcome Oh, it's mad. No, it's a, it's a lot louder than it will be normally because uh, it, it hasn't settled down yet. Yeah,
1: got it. Sorry um, if you forgot about since that. Since the
0: storm, it's still hectic. It's like um, I'd settle down a bit today, but it's still pretty bad in comparison to usual, but it's been like um, Lonnie Back Beach out there or something like fun but messy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a reference that I don't get.
0: <laughs> okay. So you're not really from Melbourne then. It's fine.